Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you live in your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. All right, and welcome back to the Black Psychologist Podcast. I am your humble and gracious host, or one half of your host, Dr. Kyle Osborne. And of course, I am never here by myself. I'm here with the one and only, he's your idol, the highest title, numero uno. He's not a Puerto Rican, but he speaks so that you know, Dr. Jason Coleman. How are you, bro? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. You pulled that one out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, you like that? You're a little bit of a throwback, bro. <laughs> <laughs> throwback joint. What's up with you, though, man? Nothing, man. You know, another week. We back at it. You know, saving uh, saving lives. We're at uh, episode 14. Yeah, man. Episode yeah. 14. So we absolutely, first and foremost, want to thank everybody for, for watching, for listening. Uh, again, you know, we can't do it without your support and without your viewership. So, again, we're on uh, YouTube. We're on Pandora. We're on Spotify. We're on um you know, Google, iHeartRadio, we're on Apple uh, Podcast, and we're also on um, SoundCloud. So we'll add that also, also to the uh, to the repertoire. So, uh, but again, we appreciate everybody, um, you know, listening and supporting us and commenting. So continue to watch, listen, subscribe, and share. And uh, towards the end of, uh, of this podcast, of this episode, Dr. J and I have a, uh, we got a treat for you guys. So we're definitely want to make it more interactive for you guys. Uh, but, you know, we'll get into today's topics and everything. How you doing over there, bro? Man, I'm good. I can't complain, you know, long day, but, you know, it's good. It's, it's good to be employed, you know, and be thankful for yeah. No complaints, man. I want to thank everybody for the support. Um, definitely humbled by it, thankful, and just encourage everybody to subscribe, continue to comment, and um, you know, like the video. So thank you. All right, cool. All right, let's get in with it. All right, so we're gonna uh start on the international level. Uh so recently the International Olympic Committee, other known as the uh IOC, recently stated that the Black Lives Matter gear will be barred or banned from athletic apparel at this summer's Olympic Games. Uh, it said that um, those who do not follow these rules as far as uh, not wearing the Black Lives Matter will face some form of punishment. And uh, also taking a knee or lifting the or raising a fist in support of racial equality during the Games will also not be allowed. So um, what were your thoughts when you uh, you saw this news flash coming through? Yo, I didn't know. Well, listen, I, I heard that there was sanctions for kneeling, right? I didn't know that it was that specific, like throwing fists in the air, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I, I probably read a different article, but I mean, what I read, they said they're not allowed to demonstrate on the field of play during the official ceremony or at the podium. So they basically, you know, basically like um, outlawing them having any type of protest toward, you know, during the Olympic Games at all. I mean, I think it sets a bad example. You know, you know what I mean. Um, especially when we're talking about the world stage, 
everything that's that, that's going on in the world, like simultaneously in terms of people being oppressed. Um, I thought it was interesting that the, the, the U.S. team, you know, they kind of like gave they gave the, their their kind of um, athletes approval, for lack of a better you know term or or permission um, is a better word to kind of protest. Right. Um, I thought that was interesting knowing that they're going to get fined. So I guess what I was thinking about was like how many athletes will probably do that, like knowing they're going to get sanctioned anyway mm-hmm. um, and protest anyway. Um, but again, I think overall, I think it sends a bad message, um, you know, but I think the United States did the right thing in terms of, you know, their committee, you know, saying that they're not going to punish any of their athletes, you know, for any peaceful protesting, you know. So I think that's a good thing. But overall, anyway, it's not a good look to me. What do you think? Um, it, it, it seemed really contradictory to me for the reason that, you know, the like you mentioned, it's the Olympic podium. It's, you know, it's the, the this is the, like the the paragon of of international communication. Right. I always looked at like the Olympic podium is, is like in the games itself or it's like the ultimate media of communication, right. To the whole world. And it's like for the Olympic frontier, like it can't be, you can't prove as a barrier to like human rights. Like that's how you talk about what's going on in each country. Right. We, it can't just be a situation where at least I don't believe so for it to be like, okay, we're going to have these games and, but whatever is happening you know, in some of these countries, especially as we're talking about like human rights, that we're just not going to talk about that. Right. We're just going to have these athletes come here. They're going to compete, but we're not going to worry about what's happening in their own backyard. You know, like I, I look at like it, it definitely shines a negative light on the Olympic committee, on, on, the, on the committee themselves. Like I feel like this pos- this policy is is like a direct assault on like the freedom expressions of black athletes. You know, so um, but I'm not totally surprised because this was also brought to the forefront or this policy was brought to, you know, by a commission that includes no black members. So, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm it's not totally surprising. It's just really unfortunate. And like you said, it's, it's you know, it sounds like a really negative light. So let me ask you, did they specify Black Lives Matter? They did. Wow. They specify Black Lives Matter. They said it was um, they had sent out a survey, right? Because they have something called Rule 50. So they said they sent out this survey to athletes um, and organizations to uh, um, regarding upholding Rule 50. And Rule 50 is uh, it's supposed to ensure that athletes can experience the games without any disruption or diversive disruption. And so they said that they sent out. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. So. They said they sent out this survey to the athletes and the majority of the athletes that they sent these surveys out to said, oh, yeah, we're in favor of, you know, upholding, you know, Rule 50. But I feel like, well, you know, that's a policy or that's a survey that's only empowering like the majority when it's the people that are in the minority that need to be heard. Right. So I don't even feel like that's valid. I mean, you know, what's crazy about this? And what you said was valid, like, and it made what it made me think about is, like, what I think they're fearful of, and this is my opinion, like, we look at the Super Bowl, right? Artists do the Super Bowl for free, right? Because it's the biggest, one of the biggest platforms you'll get. Right. Right? The Olympics probably will dwarf that, right? In terms of places and people it will reach, right? So 
we're talking about one of the biggest platforms in the world. And what I think they're scared of is, honestly, I think the power of this movement that we've seen this year, right? Mm -hmm. I think that they are scared of the symbolism that would come with athletes of color throwing up, you know, whether it be a black power fist, whether it be, you know, wearing shirts that say Black Lives Matter on that stage, right? They're scared of another scene from 1968 with Tommy Smith and John Carlos, right? Right. They're scared of, of how, think about how iconic and powerful that image is. You know what I mean? Um, so they're scared of that. So that's why I'm saying, I think the challenge is going to be and what an interesting part is going to be how many athletes kind of defy that. You know what I mean? Um, I know a lot of that probably is also going to depend on what countries they're representing. You know what I mean? Um, Cause they're going to have differences in terms of the leeway they'll have. Um, but I want to see, because I think it's going to be more than a few. That's just my thought, but I'm thinking it's going to be more than a few. Yeah. And they, um, they try to say that, well, um, Except, you know, uh, some forms of, of apparel that, that's accepted would be like you can wear peace, you can wear respect, you can wear inclusion, equality, you know, these very generic, you know, type right. of vague type of expressions. And I'm not, you know, sending that in a disparaging way of, the, of those expressions or those, those words because they're important. However, we're talking about Black Lives Matter. Right. right. You specifically say, no, you can't wear it. You can't say anything. You can't have anything, that logo, that expression, that phrase in any form of capacity on there. Like you mentioned, like, no, there, there, there's fear out of that. Right. We can't have this growing. We can't have this becoming an issue. We can't have whatever their thought process is. Absolutely. Like, no, it's going to be this is what's happening. Right. You can't just it can't be a situation where, again, you're going to have athletes who this is affecting every day of their lives when they're not at the Olympics, but then when they're there at the Olympics for three and a half weeks or however long the, the games go on, it's like, no, well, you know what? Just don't, don't bring that into this, into this house. Like, no, nah, that's not the way it works. And I'm happy that some of the organizations and some of the, uh, the companies are supporting their athletes. Cause I feel like now, especially since you're going to say, Hey, you know what, go ahead and do that. Whatever you need to do or whatever punishment comes this way, we got you. Absolutely. Like I'm I'm looking forward to these athletes, you know, going out and showing their support. And it's down to the fact that they have, you know, their companies backing them. So um, but yeah, this, this uh, to me, this isn't uh a good look for for the IOC. So I'm I'm hoping with the ongoing conversations, they you know, um reverse course on it. But I don't know, it, it's just not a good look for them. I mean, listen. Even if they don't, you know how this stuff works, you know, with some of these issues, you know, like maybe the position that they take may end up shining more light on the issues that they're trying to kind of sweep under the rug. You know, you know how it kind of works like that sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so it may backfire on them that way. I mean, I hope it does, because, again, it's, it, you know, it's kind of like absurd for this to be happening on that stage, you know, because, we're again, we're talking about the world. But then it shouldn't be surprising, right? Because we know that all over the world, you know, there's, there's people of color that are being oppressed, right? So mm -hmm. where else Black Lives Matter and that phrase and what it really represents, it couldn't mean more on, you know, on the Olympic stage because it applies to almost everywhere in the world. You know what I mean? Um, when we're talking about generally, like it's people of color suffering. 
Um, so I see why they do not want, you know, that platform to be used to get that message out to more people, you know, but um, hopefully it'll backfire. So I can say. Yeah, you you bring up a good point because I, f- I feel like they're spending so much time and being so specific towards this particular movement that they don't want to happen that you're bringing more attention, right? No, more organizations that support this movement are going to be, you know, like again, financially, they have an impact on things. So it might, like you said, work against them. But, um, you know, it, it's it's always funny to see these committees try to be so exclusive and and keep certain organizations and certain movements out. And then when you receive the backlash, now it's like you got to reverse course and they got to go into this whole damage control. They got to go through all this where if you were just inclusive from the very beginning, you know, you wouldn't have to go through this, but I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be something to continue to monitor. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm doubtful because it's like, where's the accountability going to come from? You know what I mean? This is not like, you know, this is this is the uh, what, what do they call it? IOC or whatever yeah. it is. Uh-huh. Um, I, I don't know who who holds them accountable. You know, they're the ones that, that are supposed to be setting the standards. So, you know, it seems like kind of like a board to me or something like that. So um, I don't know. But, you know, I'm doubtful that they're going to change course. But again, you know, hopefully all of this effort, you know, will backfire in terms of the message. So. Yeah, we'll see. All right, moving forward. All right, so uh, dipping into the entertainment industry. All right, so recently, singer and actress Andre Day, who was recently nominated for uh, an, an Oscar and won a Golden Globe for her role in the Billie Holiday uh, movie, The United States versus Billie Holiday. She recently opened up about uh, her past struggles with porn, um, porn addiction and sex addiction while filming the movie. She said, uh, I had come out of something in my own life dealing with porn and sex addiction, and uh, I'm being candid because I'm not the only one, but I knew I wanted all of that gone. So she talks about, um, you know, just some of the things that she experienced it and how it uh, was very similar to her own struggles with uh, when, when she was filming the Billie Holiday role. So um, what is your take? on her coming out and being so open uh, about her past struggles and then also how it correlated with her, with the role. I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of ironic because, you know, we talked about this, you know, kind of on the last, you know, well, episode ago, right. talking about pornography and how it impacts relationships. Um, but I kind of learned a lot, right? Number one, obviously, not that it's shocking, but it's relevant, right? Because it's her, right? Because she's a person that's in the public way, obviously, um, but just in terms of looking at people who have addicted to have have addictions to pornography, it's like I learned a lot in terms of like five to eight percent of adults are addicted to pornography. And the part that I was kind of surprised to is about is what they were saying was that individuals that are addicted to pornography spend between 11 and 12 hours, you know, per week watching pornography. That's a lot you of know? time. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time, bro. You know, um, and that, you know, that kind of, you know, and of course they were talking about, you know, it hurts their personal relationships when we were kind of touched on during that show. Yeah. So that part made, you know, made sense. But 11 to 12 hours, man, that's half of a day. Yeah, yeah. 
It's yeah. a long time, man. That that's you know? more than what we talked about running to the bathroom or running to the garage with the laptop <laughs> or the, with your phone. That's yeah. <laughs> that's a lot you of know? that's a lot of uninterrupted time. Right. Like we were talking about like a little like a halftime, like a break, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, but this is like really dedicating some serious time. So and then kind of looking what they were saying, like at the prevalence, right? In terms of um pornography on the internet, they said 12% of all web pages you know, are pornographic and 25% of all online requests are related to sex. Mm-hmm. That's a quarter. You know what I mean? So people are going to Google one out of every fourth person is something related to sex, whether that's lingerie, whether that's a video, whether it's this or that. Um, it's just interesting. You know, you know what I mean? Um, because our society is focused on it. So, um, I would think that maybe that number would be a little bit higher, five to eight percent. You know, I, I thought it would have been a little bit higher. But what, what did you think? Uh, I mean, first thing that 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 stood out with me, like um, I saw the movie uh, a month or so ago and it was one. She's incredible. Right. She okay. she totally immersed herself into this role. And I mean, she lost like 40 pounds for the role. Um you know, the role itself is so hypersexualized because of the issues and things that Billie Holiday was faced with. What I mean, like, there's a lot of sex in this movie, like the sex scenes because of like her escapades and other different things that Billie um, Holiday was experiencing. I mean, there's a lot. So I could only imagine if I'm thinking about it from um, from Andre's from her uh, from her perspective. Of if this is something that you're already struggling with and then you're going into a role where this is like full frontal, right? It's fully like dealing with some of the things that you're struggling with. Like I can only imagine. Like she also, she talks about how when she was filming the role and I don't know much about like method actors and you know what all that entails. But again, it seems like she totally immersed herself into this character um, because she, she, she mentions smoking cigarettes like her her smoking cigarettes increase she talks about she was drinking at a higher rate and um you know when you're looking at some of the things that co-occurring uh disorders that that are associated with um with sex addiction or or uh, or porn addiction is sex addiction depression anxiety substance right. use, mood disorder right so all of these things that you know that she was experiencing it it, it you know it, it coincides with it and i can only imagine again what she had to deal with just going through the role and um you're right like this is uh not only i think the relationship component of people that uh are diagnosed with with porn addiction but it's the time part so i think that also contributes to the issue in the relationships right because if you're dedicating and you're investing so much time to doing that. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have some issues. And right. I think the other thing that was that was interesting in the article that she talked about was um, that they say is the ease, right? The ease of porn access or the ease of, I think, probably in someone like, and I don't know her. I'm not going to act like I know her personal life. But, you know, in her role being a celebrity, also we mentioned... Um, we talked about the LL Cool J, right? Because he talked about in his book that came out about about 15 years ago or so in his biography, right. he talks about his issues that he had and he struggled with, with, um, with porn. I mean, uh, being, you know, with sex and porn. And I think it's just the access of it. Right. So you have 
maybe your normal individuals that have access to porn. They got it on their phone. They got it on their laptop. They got it on the TV. Then you also have these celebrities that have access to sex anytime they want, right? Right. So again, it's one of those things that complicates or adds a barrier to treatment because when you have so much access to it, you know, now the issues, things get worse. And then you also, depending on whether there's social support around. So, um, yeah, like this was, you know, falls right in line with what we were talking about. But again, five to eight percent, like that's that's a lot. It's a lot. You know, that's a lot more than I thought it, it, was. Is. I thought it was a smaller number, you know. It is, man. Um, and it, I mean, LL Cool J, when you when you talk about that story, like the amount of time that he was talking about that he was spending, like pursuing not, I'm not saying pursuing women, but I'm saying engaged in that, right? Whether it's picking up groupies, whether it's, you know, his own kind of study situations or whether it's random people, he spent a lot of time invested. You know, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And that's kind of the crazy part. And of course, you know, there was substance abuse, you know, that going on there. You know, he was, he's been kind of candid about angel dust, cocaine use and things like that. Um but again, I mean, you know, just how common it is, I think is shocking. Um, and then the fact that these are, you know, big name people, you know, obviously that we know and respect. Um, it's good in terms of normalizing it, right? Because we know a lot of people in society are, are struggling. Um, and it's obviously good that they, you know, they're willing to talk about it on a, on a public stage in terms of stigma. But man, you know, this is just, um, it's, it's, it's one of those kind of addictions that we don't really talk about too much, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of pornography, gambling, those type of things, we're usually focused on substance use, but it can equally impact your life. You know, um, one other thing that was crazy, though, um, and I wanted to know what you thought about this in terms of the danger. Right. Um, like I already said, they said 25 percent of all online requests were related to sex. But they said the average age of exposure to pornography is 11, 11 years old. Sounds crazy. about right. Yeah, I, I believe it. I mean, I believe it, you know what I mean? But I mean, listen, man, that's one year older than 10. You know <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, this is, um, that's young, man. That's, that's, young. that's that access, man. You got to figure how things have become more accessible over the years, right? So you got to think about back in the day, like even, you know, I'll use myself as an example. Like when we were young, it was magazines, right? It was magazines right. or, or or trying to get into like the back part of like one of the of, of like the 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 video rentals, right? They had the little right. area in the back. <laughs> you know what I mean? You you were trying to get no, to the you were trying to get usually, to the back curtain. They had the curtain. Yeah, the they, you were trying to get to the back curtain, or you was trying to go when you went to the bookstore, right? It was like a little section over there where you saw like all these guys going over there and he's reading magazines, and you know the it, so you had different things like that was the the access at that point but then as the 90s like the late 90s came the internet exploded right? right so with the internet exploding and people got access to it then you know now all of a sudden you know it's on social media but even now now you got the internet on your phone so the access of it and think about it like we're getting most kids have phones at a very early age just because they're going to school they're going you know all these other different 
things that they're involved in and they're not going to just have like any phone they're not going to have like just the the old school obama phone or anything right they're not going to just have the phone you could only call two three people like no nah, like you know and i know that the, the social aspect of things like when you're in school or as a kid like you can't just be not have a not a smartphone or anything you're not gonna have a flip phone so you're gonna have like a smartphone you're gonna have the iphone you're gonna have an android all these other different things and that comes with internet access and you know like Kids got access to it. Like we're talking, you're talking like 10, 11. What's that? Like fifth grade, fourth grade, something rather. So you got kids, they got access to it. And there's no way you can put parental rights and parents can put all these other different things. But kids got access to it. They're not watching it on their phone. They're watching it on their friend's phone. They're watching it on their laptops. Like all these devices, like like they talk about in the article, it's access. And that further complicates or, you know, with the ease of things. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, I just think, again, it's an impossible thing, but, you know, the lines of communication between, you know, caregivers and children have to be, you got to leave them as open as possible, right? Because if if these kids see things, you know, and they, if they feel uncomfortable, you know, they have to be able to tell you, you know what I mean? Because their friends, their friends that have less supervision are going to be the ones showing them, you know? Um, and all kids are curious. So if you don't talk to them about it in advance, you know, more than most likely they, they, they're going to make the wrong decision. You know what I mean? Um, we see it every day. So it's crazy, man. Um, but again, I think it's, it's just like we, we talk a lot about what the benefits of technology, right? In terms of like getting messages out there, um, in terms of like organizing, protesting and all of those things, you know, well, um, you know, this is one of the challenges that comes along with it, right? It's lack of regulation. Um, and it's equal access is equal access. So, you know, Google doesn't know who's 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 uh, typing in sex, you know, right. or whatever. So, um, you know, it's one of those things, man. This is, this is one of the challenges that's, that comes with, you know, a world, you know, where we can get things like that, right? Uh, what you said was really important is that that communication aspect of it, right? Because that's the same thing that uh, LL talks about in his book um, and his articles. And the same thing with, um, with, with Ms. Day is that they talk about social support, right? They talk about their family is something that helped them get through their, their addiction. And so, you know, LL always talks about, you know, his wife, he talks about his family. And this is the same element that we need to incorporate like you mentioned like your parents or as a as a caretaker it's imperative that you get to your kid as as early as possible and i know a lot of parents think about like well oh i don't you know is my kid too early i don't want to talk to them about this type of material but you got to get to them before again the internet does or their friends do and and it's getting earlier and earlier so like we mentioned 10 11 is a young age but they might be getting and viewing things even sooner so that's where the, the social support element needs to come in and kind of be more proactive as opposed to retroactive and saying like, hey, you know, hey, you know, talking to little Johnny and say, hey, this is what this is. And he'd be like, oh, I already saw that. I saw that on such and such. <laughs> you know, I saw that. I saw that on Brandon's phone. Like, you yeah, know, man. so you got to get to that. That communication aspect is so crucial in getting to them early. And we have to kind of get out of um, that. That frame of thinking of like oh my kid is too young they're not seeing it no these kids like you meant like you said they get it like that so i mean 
listen, a lot of things that, you know, parents, caregivers, all of us, you know, tell our, you know, our kids, you know, it comes from a good place in terms of intent, right? But it doesn't necessarily, in terms of how things play themselves out in the world, it doesn't necessarily reap the benefits that we would want, right? Because most parents, and it's not, I'm not saying in a disparaging way, but most parents, rightfully so, right? We tell our children not to say certain words, right? Sexual Mm -hmm. words, right? Um, We tell them to obey adults, right? Um, And then when they're in certain situations, that where they have to make decisions about should I watch that video? Is that an important thing to do? It makes it difficult for them to come talk to you about somebody showing them a pornographic video when they can't say penis. Yeah. Yeah. You've already told, told them over and over and over again, these are bad words, right? So again, I'm not encouraging people to just let their children say anything, right? But in terms of the, the the same education that we give our kids when they know their ABCs, right? They should know their private areas, right? They should know what they're called. They should know how to talk to you about those things. And parents got to continuously check, you know, in with their kids because if you don't check in, trust me, the availability is there. You know what I mean? Um, so you got to be proactive in terms of talking to them about all of those things, right? Whether it be pornography, sexually, sexual abuse, or everything in between. Yeah, totally. You know, they definitely get drawn to the things that are taboo or things that we don't tell them or tell them not to do. They're going to get drawn to that even more because that's just, unfortunately, the nature of being a kid and wanting to be curious and explore things. So uh, I'm sure this topic will come back up. seems like porn is a trending topic on on our podcast. So, so, uh, yeah, we'll... um, Definitely something to continue to monitor and like there's more and more information coming out with it. So it was definitely um, an interesting read. Yeah. All right. So switching gears. All right. Another article that came across our desk um, was about a young girl, um, African-American female, who said she has spent the ma- majority of her life not being black enough. All right. And she said this hasn't been the first time that she, you know, had been feeling like this or had been had, um, had spoken about the issue. So she said that, that she had grown up in a pretty small town um, and that town made it clear that uh, that she was different. So um, a lot of times she would be asked, what are you? Can I touch your hair or even maybe worse? Right. Not even asked about these things. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of things that a lot of um, people can can identify with or had that experience so um so she said on one hand she would experience all kinds of stories of her blackness right being called the n-word or having a makeshift um cross burned in front of her at a party and you know having her achievements reduced to affirmative action but then on the other side she felt like she wasn't black enough so she would be called or sometimes dubbed an Oreo or people would say that she has good hair, that she talks white. So this is something that, you know, that she's had to experience, you know, on one side when she's around maybe a majority white population is that, you know, she's experiencing the racism. But then when she's around, you know, her black peers, 
She's not black enough. And so, you know, something that comes across is that racial imposter syndrome, which is a real issue that a lot of people um, struggle with. And it's more common than not. So, um, Timmy, what was your thought process reading through this article of not black enough? Well, I mean, you know, I'm familiar with this. Um, you know, a lot of people experience, you know, have similar experiences to this. I kind of understand one side of it. I understand. Like, I understand, obviously, you know, she was kind of talking about she, she knows who she is, right? Because of the one drop rule in terms of interacting with, with people, with, with Caucasian or white people, right? Mm -hmm. She knows because of the what the one drop rule, you know, that she's definitely a black female, right? So the controversy with this article really came with, with like in culture, right. right? The degree of acceptance that, and I mean, listen, I'm very familiar with that because, you know, I know, not, I know individuals that have experienced that, but just in general, like, you know, our culture, we have a lot of like rigid rules in terms of blackness, right? In terms of who we include and who we kind of stigmatize, right? There's a lot of rigid rules. Um, so I think we just, in general, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons for that, of course, but I think we have a lot of work to do, you know, us, you know, all of us, right? Because I think the problem is when you start having rigid rules like that, Black people, like the Black experience is not one experience, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's not monolithic. It's not one one experience. So the problem is, you know, there's a urban black experience there's a middle class black experience there's a rural black experience you know what i mean there's a biracial black experience all of those are black experiences right but we don't necessarily count them equally right um and this is all in-group stuff that we do so yeah. i do understand you know why she would feel like that because that for some people if you're not you know confident in yourself that can do a number on your identity you know what I mean? Um, and your self-worth and all of those things, right? Because you're being rejected from both sides. You know, you're clearly black, right? Whether you light skin, dark skin, African, African-American, West Indian, you know you're black when y'all all get stopped by the police because y'all all black. Exactly. You know what I mean? So that she's been straight with for a long time, which people learn, you know, um, or they have their moment, you know what I mean? And they learn. Um, but the other part, I think, is harder for people to kind of accept, you know, because for the person, it's their experience. You know, you, you understand what I'm saying? If, if you have a person who's raised in a rural area or like she said, kind of like a rural, small white town. Right. She's having the black experience there, <laughs> but it is still the black experience, you know, just because it's not the same experience somebody might get in Jersey City or in Harlem you know, Baltimore doesn't make it less a less of a black experience, you know, because we tend to reject things that are different. Right. So um, I think that's that's kind of part of the issue, um, part of the problem. But again, those are you know, those are things that we've been dealing with as a culture for a very long time. You know, they're not going to end you know, anytime soon. Um, but we have rigid rules, man. And we and, and you know, that's you know, it's not a good thing. Yeah, it's unfortunate um, because her 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 story. It's, uh, I've seen that a lot with 
uh, the kids. And I don't, I don't know. I know you work with, with a lot of children um, and adolescents, but it's unfortunate, like you said, even to this day where you see that. And when, when we live like in this such a, a gray oriented world and, you know, people have the experience freedom to like whatever they like, but it could be as something as simple as, as music. I've seen right. kids get bullied or be like, you know, say like very big things they're saying to kids that, you know, okay, you have a black little girl and she likes rock music, right? She likes Coldplay. She likes, you know, Katy Perry, or she likes any alternative music and they get ridiculed. They get made fun of because like you said, these rigid rules, if it's not the same experience or it's not in the majority of, okay, our culture, we come from the inner city, we come from whatever, and we like the same type of music, we like the same thing. If you're expressing anything that's remotely different, you know, they get bullied for it. They get right. um, teased. They get all these other different things. And it's really unfortunate because now you have this individual who's now going to developing and experiencing this inner congruence and is having issues with her self-esteem, her self-image. And kids are brutal. Kids are, are really are, are tough. And like you said, if you don't already have that confidence, that reassurance in yourself, it can become very difficult. And it can be and it. it it's personified in a variety of different areas. Like you said, like she talks about the way um, the way she speaks. Right. Right. That's pointed out. Right. We had, you made the example of music. It could be the way someone dresses. So, you know. Well, see, this this is the thing, bro. Mm -hmm. I think, I, you know, I wanted to kind of say something about that, right? Because they were talking about, she was talking about how Black people would tell her she's not Black enough, right? And I was like related, they would call her Oreo, and I was related to her, how she speaks, right? So she speaks using proper English, proper dialect, right? So again, this is what I mean by rigid rules, right? There's a lot of factors, but People don't uh, people don't understand the trap, right? The trap is in our culture. There's an inverse relationship, right, between intelligence and blackness, right? So the smarter you are, the further you are away from being black. Mm -hmm. That that's what this is. Yeah, this is people saying. So again, as black people, as black males, we can be aggressive, right? But we can't be cerebral. The moment we become cerebral. And we're reasoning, we're, we're, we're white, right? This is a lot of problem people have with Barack Obama, right? Same thing she's talking about, right? So people don't understand the trap, right? There's an inverse relationship between that, right? Now, when we play into that, you know, that's when you have people playing up stereotypes and acting ignorant on purpose, you know what I mean? Um, and you have kids that feel like they they feel like they have to do that, you know what I mean, because of that, because they won't be accepted by their peers if they don't, you know. Um, and again, I think it comes down to it's the in it, it's a it's an in culture kind of thing, right? So we gotta accept as, as black people, we have to accept and appreciate that there's more than one black experience. It's not just a black urban experience. There's a black middle-class experience. There's hundreds of thousands of black people that, that grew, born and raised in the suburbs and that's where their experience is, you know? And there's, there's hundreds of thousands of black people born and raised in rural areas, you know what I mean? Um, but again, 
culturally, right, we like to put ourselves in this one box. And, and all of that, it, again, it includes the biracial experience, you know? Um, so that's my opinion, you know, but, you know, I think that's, those are the type of things that lead to, you know, um, like in terms of these rigid rules that lead indirectly to that inverse relationship, you know? Let me ask you um, a Barack question. Barack Obama has talked about it. She talked about it. I mean, she's she's intelligent. She speaks well. Now she's an Oreo, the further removed from her blackness, right? So if she was an impressionable person, would that make her study harder? Not if she wanted friends. Not if she wanted friends that look like her, according to, to, to this. You know what I mean? So, um, again, it's things that we got to work on. Let me ask, ask me a personal question. Have you ever experienced it? Uh, I have. Yeah, I have. I have. I mean, I, I'm, my experience is a little bit different. You know what I mean? Um, but I have experienced it at times, right? Mm -hmm. um, because, again, I've always been um, a cerebral person. You know what I mean? I've always been a person that speaks speaks a certain way. I mean, I, I obviously I talk differently when I'm speaking with my friends and all of that. Um, but I've experienced it in certain environments. Um, but again, it's like you find your way, man. You know what I mean? Because you can't. If you, if I was to have gone along with how everybody wanted me to behave, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Right. And it's no disrespect to everybody else, but. Bro, like I, I didn't care what anybody was doing when I was 17. I was I was studying because I knew I wanted to get to Howard. You understand? Now, all of the images, all of the things that were surrounding me, not in my own home. I had strong men to, to kind of follow, you know, so all of the images that was growing on around me didn't really matter because I could listen to whatever music, watch whatever movies I wanted to. The only people I was following was my brother and my father. You feel me? So at the end of the day, I ain't really care if, you know, the rest of the world told me that the smarter I got, the more whiter I got. It didn't really matter to me because that's not who I was following. You know what I mean? But what is have you ever experienced this or have you, do you know anybody that's experienced with, with what's your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've experienced it even as recently when I was on internship. Right. OK. So even at internship, um, you know, we come in, we're essentially the the psychologist on the unit right that's the way it was set up at, at our location and um a lot of the um a lot of the floor staff like the mental health techs who i'm really you know cool friends with and i had an opportunity to work with them and even hang out with them like outside of work you know in the, in, in the two years that i was there but even like having further conversations like later on with them like they would even say it. they admitted they were just like yeah, Kyle, we we thought um we thought that you were one of those black guys, right? We thought that, you know, you was <laughs> because you know when we first get there, you the know, it, you're going in there. Huh? Yeah, they thought you, we thought you were one of those. We thought you were uh one of those those black guys that you know just kind of you know, because the way you way you carried yourself and when you talk proper, right? And you did the groups like you were cool, but we just thought you were one of those, and he was like, Yeah, but you know, when I started going to like, you know, getting invited to like the fish fries and, and like kind of just talking to them more outside of work, then it was different because I, you know, the conversation content change. But 
again, because some and most of the, you know, the florists that have the text, of course, they're, um, you know, they're black and, and, and such. And again, you know, I went in being who I am, like the same way how I present on, you know, on this podcast in the same way that I interact with you, you know, like that's how I present. Like, I don't know right. any way to be. I don't know any way how to talk really differently. Like even like again, when you and I are talking and stuff, it's different, but it's still the same to a certain extent. Do you see what I mean? And yeah, absolutely. Like even again, this is a couple of years ago, but it's just like they automatically kind of, like you said, put you in that box of, okay, he's educated and he talks and speaks a certain manner. It's like, okay, he's one of those black guys. He's, he's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what it is. Like, yeah, man. it's, it's mean, really wild. Like, you want to hear the wildest one that I got hit with? Yeah. Are you ready? You ready for this? Yeah. So I had a, um, I'm trying to remember. She was a, a nurse or a tech. I think she was a tech. Yeah, she was a mental health tech. And again, most of these people, like even after we had these conversations, you know, we're still cool and uh, even talking to this day. But one, one, uh, one tech came to me was just like, "You like, let me ask you a question. Is is your your daughter's mother white?" I was just like, "What? What?" <laughs> <laughs> she automatically thought that my my daughter's mother was white. Like she automatically thought put me in the category of yeah you look like you're a guy who dates white women. Listen, man. Yeah, I like mean, that automatic. Cause I had to now I kind of had to serve her and kind of educate her on that point, you know, not in a disparaging, disrespectful way, but I kind of had to you know bring her back down and kind of have a brief conversation of like you know like all right, because I wasn't offended by it, but I'd use it as as a learning moment um, to have that conversation with her. But like again, that that's automatically because you know in our role. A lot of the individuals that we converse with outside of patients are nurses, social workers, psychiatrists, right? Administration. And a lot of these individuals, on average, depending on where you're working, are white, right? So she automatically, she's like, oh, I only see you talk to white people, you know, outside of the patients a lot of times, right? She's like, I only see you talk to the nurse. I'm like, well, I mean, the predominantly of this, that staff that I deal with because I'm on a treatment team are white. I mean, it's not. I can't control that, but automatically assumed, okay, this is the type of guy he's educated. He's in this role. So he's, he's only got to be dealing with white girls and, and all the different things. Like it, it was, it was funny, but I absolutely had a more in-depth conversation about that. And that kind of, she was just like, Oh, I never thought about it like that. Like, yeah, you're right. I kind of got to, you know, that I, I was wrong for me to say that. And I'm like, nah, I, I get where you're coming from. But again, it's like, we just got to be more open-minded. So to kind of use that as an opportunity, but yeah, that was wild, man. I mean, but if we think about it, right, on it, on you know, on its face, like it's it's absurd, right? right? Because what we're saying is intelligence is for white people. That's what we're saying. That's right a, now, exactly what now, we're saying. But but see, this is the problem I have with people, right? Because people will say that like that. This is how it plays out. Let's not let's put the cards on. This is how it plays out. There's an inverse relationship. So the smarter you are, the less black you are, right? right. Now, any person, if you walk up to them and call them stupid, are they, they're going to be in, insulted, right? Mm-hmm. So we can't be smart. You can't call nobody stupid, right? This is, people don't understand the trap, right? So ignorance is for us. We could be aggressive, right? No disrespect to athletes, but we can catch balls, right? We could pick up a microphone, right? But if we start doing math, then we're white. If you if you can pick up a microphone and be as great as an orator as Barack Obama, then you're white. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So 
that's why I said her experience, like we have a lot of work to do, all of us, right? Because I'm not blaming nobody. It's all of us, right? Because it's like we we don't like when other cultures put us in one bucket, right? But but and everybody and and we can remove all the other cultures, but we doing it at our own dinner table. Within our own families, we do it. You know, you know what I mean? So we just we have a lot of work to do. And you know, because again, that you know, that tough, that that type of stuff only happens like it's 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 divide and conquer, right? It's a trap. Right? On on its face, intelligence is not for us. That's crazy. Yeah, even with making progress in life, you notice like you'll have the little, you know, uh kind of over things you're being bougie right you move up in life you know you move you get a good job you go to school decent neighborhood uh bougie sellout right all these other different terms that are thrown out being successful right for working hard and so again like you mentioned if you're not securing yourself if you're like that could really cause a lot of inner conflict these could cause a lot of issues because think about it, right? And I mean all of us. I'm not just saying all of us, right? We're hypocrites, right? Because we know that exists within our culture, right? We reject people, we exclude them, we are you a sellout, this and that. You know, if they got PhDs, if they're in high positions or whatever. But all of the people that are doing that, what do you think they tell their kids when they leave the house and go to school every day? You think they tell them don't study so you could be blacker? No, they say study hard so you can be the best you can be. That's that's right. That's so you can thing. grow up and people could tell you that you're not black. <laughs> it's, it's it's absurd, right? But th- but people do it every day. So in their personal life, they'll cast all type of judgments on people who might be educated or this and that, and then they go tell their kids to go be like them. This is what we do, bro. Yeah. I mean, I love my people, but this is what we do. Yeah, it's, it's that it's, an, it's that unfortunate crabs in the barrel mentality, which, you know, I'm really hoping that with these conversations, with, you know, things being more open with information that we, you know, it gets better. We get more open minded, but it, it's yeah. tough, man. It's, it's always, always tough when you kind of get hit with that and, and you, you or you view it or you see it you know, with kids or teenagers, um, cause it's tough. Like it, it does happen and, um, it's unfortunate. So, but you know, uh, we'll definitely, this will be an ongoing conversation, you know? Yeah, definitely. So changing gears. All right. Lying. Right? We talked about <laughs> porn earlier because that's something that people lie about. Right. So we're going to talk about lying overall. Okay. So people right. lie all the time. Let's just call it what it is. People lie all the time. You got some people that will flat out don't tell the truth. You have some individuals that uh, they omit information. You have others that will minimize or exaggerate the truth or give vague answers. <laughs> <laughs> right? Various types of degrees of uh, being less than honest. That's right. And then you have people that lie for a variety of reasons. Right. You have some people that uh, lie to save face. You have some persons that uh, spare the feeling. They lie because they're trying to spare the feelings of others. Uh, you have individuals that uh, they lie because they want to get what they want. You know, just pretty straightforward. 
And then you have others that are lying because they're trying to avoid any type of potentially disastrous consequences for themselves or others. So, you know, trying to kind of self-preservation situation. Right. So research suggests that dishonesty is hard to spot and that there's no way to tell if someone is lying. So are there ways to improve lie detection? Well, apparently there is. And it's called the cognitive approach to lie detection. How about that? We're gonna we're gonna teach people how to how to seek out liars. Listen, all you, you liars can. out there, listen up. <laughs> we got you. All the liars. The jig is up. <laughs> it's over for you. Still said. Now nah, get a new was, get a new playbook. This, this was crazy, man. Um, cognitive approach to lie detection includes asking unexpected questions, asking for more information and imposing cognitive load, right? So listen, some of this I thought was was valuable. Some of it I thought wasn't really relevant, right? So um, the cognitive load part, I thought was relevant, right? Because they were kind of talking about, you know, who does the person maintain eye contact with you, right? right? Um, and 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 how they were talking about like a person performing a secondary task, right? How it's harder to kind of do something and lie while you're doing it, right? Because the truth is right here. So I understand that. Now, that whole part, the last part when they were talking about people saying things in reverse order, I think that's kind of like, you know, it's, it, it, it doesn't really seem like a, a method that would do anything but piss anybody off, you know? <laughs> um, but the eye contact thing I think was important. And then the next part where they were like, encouraging the person to say more, right? Like saying people that tell the truth can provide more relevant information, right? But liars have to fabricate. That's one of the ways I've always been able to root out a lie, right? When you ask that follow-up question and they, this is, remember they're talking about the eye contact, the liar look at the, the ceiling, you know, and then they think of the lie they're gonna tell you, right? The truth is right here though, most, for most people. So yeah. I thought that was relevant. Um, and then they were talking about asking unanticipated questions, which I thought was important too, right? Um, because people, again, people that tell the truth, they're going to respond. Like, where were you at? The mall. Where were you at? What? If the person said what? <laughs> you, know, you know, all the liars out there, listen up. If the person says what? Then what are they, you know they're thinking about a lie. You know right. what I mean? They're um, stalling, stalling for time. Right, right. Um, so listen, I, I thought it was interesting. Um, I also thought it was an interesting point how they pointed out like all the reasons why people lie. And then they were kind of saying like, yeah, and then they demand truth from like their children, their spouses and everybody else that they want to, you know, they demand truth from everybody else, but then they lie. Mm -hmm. So um, that part was a little crazy, but um, I thought some of this stuff, you know, was kind of things that, you know, I've been using for a long time, you know, in terms of the eye contact and um, asking unanticipated questions. What have you been using? I looked at, uh, so some of the techniques I thought uh, it was kind of hit or miss. Um, I thought some of them were not practical, not effective. Uh, like the whole right. asking somebody to repeat re 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 uh, repeat a statement in reverse order. I'm like, is this an interrogation? Or like, what, am I right. a person a suspect? Or <laughs> so I felt like that's not really practical. Like you said, it's always going to do is piss people off. Uh, as far as with the the cognitive load. 
I, I totally agree with uh, the strong emotions aspect, right? Right. So absolutely. If someone is highly emotional, it's more than likely that that lie is going to fall apart because right. whatever intense emotion that they're experiencing at the time, yeah, they're, they're going to just start firing off different things and that's going to fall through. There's going to be a lot of holes. What I did like um, now the maintain the eye contact, I, I think it depends on your level of lying. Like how good you are at it, <laughs> right? Because we have some pretty proficient liars. You know that you have some you know liars what? that will lie you, like will look you dead in your eye, and and just straight tell you, you're like, look, the 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 sky is red. Yeah, and some of them, <laughs> some of them are under the age of sixteen. They look right in your face. Right, I ain't do it. Like you, it. you know, and I know, man. Listen, we we've had patients inpatient, man, and they will sit here and lie and say, I didn't hit them first. And like right. you go review those cameras and you're like, mm-hmm. like, really, yeah, <laughs> you know, Crazy. Um, so, I mean, like you said, usually if they're like kind of darting off, you know, if the if the, the, the engagement is, is low. Yeah, that's that's absolutely um, a cue. Uh, I did appreciate the encouraged person to say more. But however, a method that I've used is like silence, right? So I think that's one of the best things as as trained clinicians that we <laughs> learn how to use silence, right? Because yeah. you know a, a liar, right? You know, if you just ask them one question and you just kind of sit there and stare at them after they finish their first pers- their first answer and you don't give them any more else, they're gonna be like they're gonna add to it. Oh, they're gonna keep talking. Yeah, they're gonna keep talking. They're gonna talk the way Ray out of it, right? <laughs> like right. because they're figuring, like, oh, he doesn't believe me, or I gotta add more to the story. And then it right. just becomes completely grandiose. And then it's all of a sudden, you know, you weren't where you're at, you were jumping off of a, a helicopter saving the world or something, right? It just turns right. into something completely different. Um the anticipate unanticipated questions, I like that. Um, but then before that, they were talking about um in the encouraging person to say more. They mentioned something about showing a model statement that demonstrates a high level of detail and asking the individual to draw a detailed sketch of the location Man. of the event. I'm looking at it like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. Like, <laughs> first you wanted to replay the question or the whole issue backwards, right? Now, now you're asking them to draw a sketch, so they turn in from a suspect into an eyewitness. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know who has these type of materials like on them, where you're just like, hold on, bro, let me get my my uh, my notebook, and I need you to draw me what exactly took place i just skipped over that man yeah i saw that i was just like okay but uh, that was useless information (laughs) but the the unanticipated questions um that could be useful um you know definitely because like you said liars are good man they have time to prepare for the lie you know they're rehearsing it they're going over things you you do got to throw them off right all right so you so i got a question unpopular question i got a question for you then right I'm, i'm putting you on the spot okay Give me one good reason to lie and what and then tell me what's your tell with other people that you know they lie. Um when it's self-preservation, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what I've noticed, there are certain people, uh, I'm not gonna put these people out on blast, but I know when they lie to me, they they'll do um they'll say they'll say a, a similar statement, right? So if I ask them like where something is, they'll be like, Oh, I don't know. I was looking for it also. And I'm just like oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are certain there are a couple of individuals that I know I'm like, okay. Like I, I didn't ask you that. Like they they it's almost like they add to the story again. Right. Right. 
So it's just like I didn't ask you. I just simply asked you a, a, a closed question and then you added something else. And then I've only noticed that that person always does that when they're not telling the truth. So, okay. you know, um, but yeah, I mean, mainly self-preservation, man. I mean, that's what people are going to lie for. Like, you you know, someone's going to ask you whether it be in a relationship. Hey, how do I look? I mean, depending on how strong your relationship is and what you how you're going to describe that bad news you got to give that person or you're going to... You know, you tell them that they look great. You All right. Don't, you know, sometimes you, you know, but you're doing it out of your self-preservation, you're doing that for yourself. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, if man, you want you, the rest of that evening to go well. Right. You don't want to get put out. Absolutely. Right. I wasn't talking to her. I don't know who that is. <laughs> like, like, how's my head? That's what they're going to say. How, how's my head look? you like. Great. It looks yeah, it's good. Do you, do you, you got, that's when you ask the follow question. Do you like it? <laughs> Yo, I was gonna say the same thing. Like, a good reason why I think is spare somebody's feelings. You know what I mean? Um, in certain instances, like, you know, like some, it's not always. That's a good reason why I think you spare somebody's feelings. You know, because sometimes you just make somebody feel good. You know, it's worth it. You know, um, with little things. Um, in terms of the tell for me. For me, it's added. It's all the extra information, you know, mm -hmm. um, and looking all around in the sky for your answer. You know what I mean? Um, but I always ask a follow up question, especially if I think somebody's lying to me. Always ask a follow up question. You know, if it's, if it's somebody in my personal life, I just confront it directly. I'll be like, stop lying to me. And then they always ask, <laughs> I'm dead serious. Then <laughs> and then the, the, the look you see on it, I'll be like, why are you lying to me? You know, or use me out to test out the lie. And then they'll just we when they talk about extra information, yeah, they add extra information and make a mistake, you know. Especially when you didn't even like solicit further extra information. You just like right. Okay. Also, I've noticed when people become not just defensive, but they become like additionally emotionally or intense about it, right? You become right. like expansive on it and it's like it's not congruent with what I'm asking about or about. <laughs> it's like, you know, when they, when they, like when they totally get over emotionally about the thing, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, what's what's easy? Just I'm just asking you if you, you know, you saw my wallet, like that, or you know, did you see my phone? <laughs> I, I, I didn't ask you, you know. Then you're getting a hype, you know. It, it's like, okay, all right, there's, there's there's something else going on here, you know. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah, but the silence, man, you know, that's that's the silence. So so liars, you need to get better at and more comfortable with silence. OK, because after this podcast, people are going to come after you and they're going to use silence and they're going to use follow up questions like Dr. J and I just mentioned. Right. All the liars out there. Stop looking for your answer in the, yeah, in the cell. Yeah, just yeah, listen. Just look. At, you, what I do is just <laughs> like, look, man, just look at the person's neck or their nose. <laughs> you got you got to focus in on something like you 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 can't be searching for the answers. You just gotta like look. You gotta look them straight in because the eye right. contact will throw them off. That's right. The eye contact will at least buy you another day, maybe a few hours before they go back and check stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's just you know my unbiased uh you know advice and recommendations for the for the liars. But don't lie, okay? Hey man, that's good yeah. stuff. That's good yeah. stuff. You know. So um, before we get out of here, uh, like we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we want to make this more interactive. So in addition to next episode, we're going to have our um, 
our, our usual topics. Dr. J and I were talking behind the scenes that we want to, again, um, in a show of appreciation and, and, and an attempt to interact with our listeners and our viewers, we want to hear back from you. We always talk about having the comments and, you know, um, giving getting feedback, which has been great. You know, Dr. J and I have absolutely been conversing with a lot of different listeners and watchers on YouTube or on the just different, you know, whether it be on Facebook or other just different things. So we appreciate all the love that you guys have been giving us and but what we also want to do, and we're trying something new for the next episode, is uh, we want to hear from you any questions that you guys have or maybe some, you know, maybe there's a topic that you want some advice or you want some feedback on. And what we want you to do is that we want you to email these questions or some of these things to us, right? So we can actually answer it on the podcast or during the next episode. So, um so the email is pretty simple, the black psychologist podcast at gmail.com. Again, that is the black psychologist podcast at gmail.com. You know, do it in video format if you feel comfortable, you know, emailing us your question or recording yourself doing the question. And what we're gonna do is that we'll address the question or the statement or the inquiry or whatever um you want to send us while we're in the, on, on the podcast next episode. So we want to make it more interactive. You know, you feel free to share your name and whatever you're comfortable um, sharing with us. You know, um, you know, this is what, you know, we're trying something new, trying to pump up the volume a little bit, you know, doing a little something. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely, guys. Uh, so if you guys have any questions, any concerns, or want some some feedback, some um, some input from from two dope psychologists um absolutely please email us at the black psychologist podcast at gmail.com so we can you know talk about it and, and bring it up and have that discussion on um on the next episode so uh do what you guys do continue to support and so we, we can bring you up and shout you out on, on, on the pod <laughs> looking forward to it looking forward to it absolutely anything else before we go dr j no, just, of course, we want to thank everybody for listening, supporting. Um, we're definitely appreciative of everything, um, everybody that listens. Um, we're just thankful, and please share or like, Leave, continue to leave comments, and, you know, we look forward to answering the questions. All right, absolutely, guys. So, once again, this is the Black Psychologist Podcast with Dr. J and myself. Again, continue to listen, iHeartRadio, YouTube, uh, Google Apple Podcasts. We're now on SoundCloud also. Um, anywhere where you can find your podcast, we're on there, all right? Spotify, Pandora, all those things. So, thank you guys for, again, for tuning in, watching, and um, signing out. We'll see you guys next week. All right, bro. All right, man.